Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration from the Center for Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. And so we anchor ourselves in the breath. Breathing in, we breathe in. And breathing out, we say yes. As we enter into the sacred moment, yet again, knowing that all we ever have is the precious moment. And so we come together as a community in a field of love. And we practice radical honesty, first with ourselves and then with our world. In our class, Ajashanti says, always speak the truth. To thine own self be true and it must follow as the night, the day. Thou canst not be false to anyone. And so we get to ask ourselves, are we living in a congruent existence with our soul? Are we living our dharma, our purpose here on planet Earth? Living from the soul, from that eternal part of our being. And so we live in the question not as an indictment that we should do something, but rather as an invitation that we might explore how would life unfold if we knew that everything and everyone is our own self, that there in truth is only one life, and that that one life is waking up within its creation and we are that humble and yet profoundly inclusive creation. Then we begin to perceive things differently, not from the local self that has opinions and judgments and conclusions, but rather in a conversation with life where everything that happens in our life is an opportunity for us to respond in a loving way through the relationships that we cultivate. Rumi says we're here to walk each other home. Huh. So this Sunday, I invite you to enter into my heart and let me walk you home as I walk myself home to a place that already always is there, not some distant location that I have to find outside myself, but rather huh, we identify with our infinite nature. We identify with our eternal soul. We identify with the one life that is not separate from any other life. 
And in that place of wholeness, we heal in deep, profound ways, emotionally healing, physically healing, mentally healing, all because we have come into this community of divine love, knowing that divine love brings together and maintains together those who belong together. And so as we surrender to divine love this Sunday morning, and we practice radical honesty, we begin to discover something that is alive and relevant and always showing us the way. In the Chinook prayer, this indigenous culture in their mystic wisdom, say to the mountains in your majesty, teach us and show us the way. And then they practice the art of listening. We see to these magnificent trees all around us covered with color and losing their leaves, letting them go in cartwheels in the air, teach us and show us the way, how to let go of our attachments. The leaves must fall. And then we smile to the wisdom that is flowering within the depths of the soul. I'm feeling the presence of Emerson very strongly this Sunday morning. Uh, and he's the one that said on my Zen calendar last week, the infallible mark of wisdom is when an individual sees the magnificence in the common. To see the universe in a grain of sand. Uh -huh. And so we open our eyes and we enter into this space in a playful kind of childlike way. Jesus says you must be like a child if you would enter the kingdom. He understood that it's, it's the overly mm, developed intellect that would have conclusions that keeps us out of this direct experience of the one life. It's interesting, I was listening to one of those talks on Sufism because I'm really a Sufi at heart. They're the lovers of God. Jesus was a Sufi. You can tell them. They're, um, it's all about the love. But even in the Islamic tradition, they have the traditionalists that are about the form and the structure you shall obey. And then, of course, you have the crazy Sufis that are saying all there is is love. And all swimming in the ocean of love ends in drowning. So the institutionalists and the traditionalists kind of need these mystics to bring the fire to their institutional religions. So I'm going to ask you, imagine no religion. I wonder if you can. What if we let go of institutional religions and we only turn toward the light? We only turn toward the love and we allow it to awaken in us at a depth that is so intimate and profound that it literally shatters all tradition. Oh, well, that's kind of a big thought, Terry boy. It's all about the love. You know, I was reflecting, um, Trey wants to go up to New England in Christmas time. And we have a blind and deaf pug. And I said, as much as I'd love to go, honey, and I know your sister wants us to go. I said, I am committed to taking care of him. He's tethered to me. I mean, he, you know, when I leave the room, he has anxiety things. And so I was thinking, what could I possibly do with the pug? I said, I think Adam's going on a cruise. So that's, how, and then Jody's got her big dogs. But then I thought of Terry boy. In the class on Wednesday mornings, he goes over to him, he gets on his knees, he puts his arms around him, and he carries him like a little baby child to the car. 
And it's so beautiful to see how, as a community, I don't have to be the only one, Jody and me with Mr. Pug. No, I've got this whole community that gets to love on him. So what if that's the bigger picture? That through relationships, through community, we heal at a deep, deep level. One of my favorite classes I've taught, and Anne-Marie reminded me of this, it's called Healers on Healing. And it's such a profound book of some of the greatest minds on the planet. But the one that, chapter that I really loved, it's called The Healing Relationship. How we need relationships to heal, Emily. We need our moms, we need our grandparents. And he goes on about, he says, the golden thread that runs through all forms of healing may now be called the healing relationship. How many healing relationships do you have in your life? You know, this morning when I got up and Trey got angry at me at the plants that I brought in the house and we had a fight over the plants and I went to the church. I'm here at seven in the morning and I needed some healing energy. So I lay down on the sofa and I picked the teddy bear that I call Bert and I put the teddy bear Bert in my arms. And then I took this Afghan that was made by a young man named David Reese who died of AIDS in the 80s. And every day that I would visit him in the hospital, he was making a little square on this thing. And so when he died and ultimately gave me the kaftan, whatever that thing is, Afghan, I put it in a hope chest and I never looked at it for 25 years. And then finally, I decided to take it out and bring it to the revealing service for the Dharma study group so they could feel. So I'm lying on the sofa, holding Bert in my arms. I take that blanket that he uh, crocheted and I felt every stitch. And you know, it's when you run up against uh, something that's handmade, I felt all the flaws, Barbara. I felt the little things that were here and I thought how sweet it is. Flaws and all, it has all the energy of love. So he's referencing this, this golden thread and these healing relationships. Could we create healing relationships in our life? So when you, when you need a loving hand, you can call someone and they'll be there for you. So he goes on to say, these are our parents, Emily. The relationships are the parents. There are grandparents, there are siblings, there are special friends, there are teachers, there are neighbors, there are clubs and gangs and communities and religious communities. And this is all healing relationships with God. And then they go on to talk about marriage. Well, I think this is worth an exploration. We did a big lesbian wedding here yesterday. I think a little education might have been helpful. This is what he says about marriage. He says, often our first voluntary, voluntary commitment to another human being and you know, commitment is such a big word, komitari, which means to circle around someone. How many of you are committed to being here at the center? One or two? Well, that's kind of a nice thing. So commitment to another human being is one of the biggest things that we can make. And it may be the first time that we work truly as a team, that we let down our boundaries and allow ourselves to penetrate and be penetrated by another person. In an intimate relationship, our powers and our weaknesses are laid bare and we learn new ways to say, help me. And we listen for our partner's cry. The healing relationship, though, is not always a healthy relationship. Sometimes those great healing relationships are the ones that uh, shatter your belief system. You know, I thought of my teacher, Kennedy Schultz, who was very abusive, and yet he gave me the great gift of forgiveness. I thought of... Uh, my first uh, partner in life that ended when I was 21 and my heart was broken. What a great teacher that was. Could I let the love go that didn't work out so that I could then find the love within myself that wasn't dysfunctional? So when you can look at the past and look at those relationships as transformative relationships, well then something begins to change. 
they become the relationships that you needed at that time. And I love how the universe works. You know, the universe gives you everything you want in advance of your asking. And so I was exploring what ideas I might explore for the end of the year, a little class in December. And wouldn't you know it, the universe provided it right to me yesterday. And it's a little book called Living from the Soul. And it's a little 80-page book about Ralph Waldo Emerson, who kind of lives in my soul. And what's so profound about this tiny little book is that it tells of Emerson when he was born in 1803, and he was the second of five boys, and his father was the head minister at the first church in Boston. He was an important guy. Uh, when Emerson was seven years old, his father died, and his mother raised all five of the boys by herself in a boarding house. They lived hand to mouth. When he was 14 years of age, he was accepted to Harvard. By 18, he had graduated from Harvard. Following in his father's footsteps to be a number one preacher man in the Unitarian Church in Boston, he went to Harvard Divinity School then. He got his degree in Divinity School and he got to the big first church in Boston and his life was, he was soaring high. He had made the mark. His mother was proud. And then he fell in love with a young lady named Ellen Tucker. She was 19 years of age. He was 24. A year later, she dies of tuberculosis. He's bereft. He doesn't know what to do. And his religion let him down. He could not fall back on the, the Christian teaching and he had to leave. He quit his job at the big church in Boston. He got on a steamer. And in 1833, he's heading over to Europe in deep, deep grief. And the, and the shift that took place, you talk about a teacher in relationships. When Ellen died, she didn't die. He says, I cannot accept the fact that my beautiful wife is dead. He, she is an eternal angel that lives in my soul. And so from that death, it took him to the realization of the Emerson we have today that we're here to live from the soul. The soul is that eternal part of ourself and that Ellen was still with him. And then this little guy, and you know Emerson is, I mean, volumes of journals. And he did the seven little teachings that Emerson would have taught. Well, these are really simple things, like all you have is the present moment, and that life will never give you anything more than you can handle. It's all here for you. The first, the first thing that Emerson taught was to trust yourself. All that you need for your growth and guidance in life is already present right there within you. Well, I don't have to go looking for it then, do I, Anastasia? I just go within. And the second one is, as you sow, so shall you reap. He says, your thoughts and your actions determine what you're going to experience in life. I mean, that's Jesus right up there. What you sow is what you reap. So are you sowing these uh, destructive, um, less than life-affirming thoughts? You know, if you say, I hate my life, I hate my life, what do you think life's going to do to your life? So we have to be impeccable with our word. As you sow, so shall you reap. And then he says, nothing outside you can harm you. Nothing outside you. You don't give your power away to the outer. Wow. And you know, Emerson was raised at a time when we had slavery on the planet. One of the persons that he gave counsel to was Abraham Lincoln. When he got elected the second time, he said, it's time now to do the Emancipation Proclamation. We don't have to wait for there's consensus in the country. And, and you know what? Lincoln did just that. He sent out the Emancipation that they're set free because Emerson said it's time, whether you have consensus on all the political parties. And at that time, the Republicans were the liberal parties that were for the emancipation of the African-Americans. I loved Emerson. Nothing outside you can harm you. 
the universe is inside of you. Wow. That's a pretty big idea, isn't it, Anne-Marie? The universe is inside of you. I mean, that's what we do here at the Center for Spiritual Living is try to awaken this infinite creative intelligence within us that's not bound by your story. And if you give yourself to that infinite that's within you, then his little sixth six thing is um, identify with the infinite, not with the finite. It was Emerson that says it's only your finite self that wails and suffers. Simultaneously, there's this infinite presence that lies stretched in smiling repose at the core of all creation. Now, there's a hint. There's a thread. And in Sufism, they say, catch the thread. We have two aspects to ourselves: the finite self that wants to kvetch and wants to say things are awful and struggle with life. You can go there. and Most of the world is there. And then blame others. Or you can find that infinite presence. And he says, identify with that with that something that's peaceful. And then in the Ajashanti class, what Ajashanti says is not only identify with it, but embody it. Be the embodiment of joy. Be the embodiment of enthusiasm. You know, entheos, to be filled with God. Sylvia is filled with enthusiasm. She shows up at our revealing service just overflowing with enthusiasm. Sometimes it's a little saccharine for me. And yet I know that she's filled with the love of God. So could we let ourselves be filled with this presence that's so sacred? living from this infinite presence. His last two, he says, at this stage of life, all we have is the present moment. So to live in the present. Now what happens in the present moment is the past comes up with its story, with its history, with its wounds. It's coming up to be met, to be healed, to be integrated, and to be graciously released through forgiveness and acceptance. So what if we could take responsibility in this present moment with the past and the future, both tormenting us and know that they arise to assist us. And the very last one is Emerson. He's so simplistic. Seek God within yourself. Seek God within yourself. Well, that's kind of fun, Michael, to seek God within yourself. You know, it's so funny. When I went to the Alchemy of Light retreat two weeks ago, I was pulling out all my mystical books on light because the theme was the Alchemy of Light. And Hazrat Anayat Khan... The great Sufi mystic said that we are the source, which is that one light, that one love, that presence. We are the journey because it has to move into form and we are the goal. We're the goal. So that brings right down your finite existence with your infinite and it journeys through this experience called life. And then you hear Howard Thurman who says, whatever brings you alive, do that. So could we find that aliveness of spirit that, you know, when Bob Yeomans comes in on Sunday mornings in this beautiful gift of music, music comes from his soul. He was playing a Chopin piece that was so deep and profound. And um, maybe we'll do that Chopin piece, Bob, before the closing meditation, because it'll take you to a place that music has the capacity to take you. When Emerson um, was on his journey over to Europe, he discovered by going to the Museum of um, Natural History in Paris, France, he was walking among all the critters in the cages, the cicads and the butterflies and the crawdads, and he had this mystical experience that he was one with all of that. And then when he came back from Europe, he wrote his first little book called Nature, and this was before Charles Darwin had the origin of the species, you know, where the, the survival of the fittest. No, Emerson had a different take on it. He said, nature is a mute gospel. It's the thinnest veil to spirit. 
And he says, within all of nature is this divine Orphic voice speaking to us, and our job is to be able to listen to it, to connect with it. That's a wholly different way of approaching nature. It's not separate from you. It is the very uh, context in which this divine presence reveals herself. Go see the octopus teacher sometime and see if that doesn't change how you perceive life, that it's all sacred. And then you hear Meister Eckhart that says, he who can see God in the smallest of things is better than seeing an angel. So you go to that crystal fair and you realize that all the rocks are speaking and all the trees have life. My sweet husband, he tries to save the trees in Huntsville and he had a victory this week and he got a couple thumbs up on Facebook and he had to call me over. He said, I got some thumbs up and he wanted to show me because he was so proud. So he didn't have to uh, chain himself to the big tulip poplar that the neighbors wanted to cut down. He just called the city arborist and the city arborist came out and the tree was on the city's property, but they wanted it down because they thought it's a threat to their house. And big trees, I guess they don't really like trees. Some people don't like trees and they call them dirty trees. Yeah, why would you call it a dirty tree? But anyway, the arborist came out and the next day the Esplende thing was pulling up. And oh my God, he was ready to shackle himself to the tree until we watched the bucket go up and they cut <coughs> one branch that was hanging over the road. And it looks as pert and as fresh and as happy as a clam. And he saved the tree, only removed one branch, and now he's hated by the new people across the street, but he saved the tree. You know, and so you it, it takes a village to do whatever it is, you know, and that's what he loves. He loves to save things that matter to him. Now, isn't that a beautiful thing that and you know, he may not save the whole forests, but you save the forest one tree at a time. Or you can wake the world up one heart at a time. Is yours the heart that's gonna wake up? Is yours the life that's going to say, it's not about me, it's about this bigger something? You know, I started this whole series off by reflecting on the prophecy of the Hopis. When Jan and I went to that very first Sufi retreat called Lover and Beloved, Llewellyn Von Lee closed that retreat, that spiritual retreat, with the prophecy of the Hopis. And, and it's a prophecy for our time. And it talks about how we're in this river of life and we're moving forward. Notice who's in that river with you, your relationships keeping your head above water, moving into this new direction of this emerging evolution. Notice who are not in the river. You know, we did that lovely gay wedding yesterday and I, I was sharing with Michael. I said, I feel like I've come so far and yet I don't feel like I really went that far because I felt the, the homophobia from the family. I felt that some of them didn't accept, some did accept. And so I was experiencing my own unhealed stuff around that. And it was very, very helpful for me to know that we're not separate. So what if any time any one of us makes a breakthrough, it's for the whole community because it's something. So in the Hopi prophecy, they say the day of the lone wolf is over. It's not about the individual anymore. He says, we are the ones that we've been waiting for. And so could we take that responsibility as a gift? Now the word responsible isn't this finger. You're responsible for the welfare of the planet. No, it's you are able to respond from a place where you're part of the, the evolution of consciousness that's wanting to happen. One of my favorite classes I taught in, it's so relevant now, it's more together than alone. It's one of the more current books of Mark Nepo. He says, it's gotta be about the community. It cannot be about the individual. And so he, he goes in this beautiful book, he says this, life must consider that we were born for the good of the whole. It's not about you anymore. It's for the good of the whole. And here's what he says, recognize that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. 
So we're taking care of the whole enchilada, Adam. It's not about you and me and Tina and it's no, it's the whole. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Then he says, invest in the humility that lets us see beyond ourselves. Well, you got to be pretty humble there, Miss Mary, to see it's not about you. It's about this bigger something that we're in service to. Don't you love it? We're more together than alone. His third thing, and I wrote, I love this, believing that truth resides in more than one capacity, in more than just the mind or the heart or the intuition or the gift of questioning. You know, in all the classes we teach, we invite the students to inquire into this something that is awake and alive within you. And, and in Ajashanti's class, The Direct Way, he says it comes through the mind as pure awareness. It comes through the heart as the sacred heart that embraces everything. It comes through intuition and imagination. So could we, he says, tap into this guidance system from the great one in us? I think Einstein was tapped into that, wasn't he, Michael? I mean, he was listening to things that and then he says, believing that the path to peace resides in more than just one person or one organization is a, or a way of thinking, tradition, or even a generation. I was talking to Ted about the Greek Orthodox, and my family was a fundamentalist Christian, and, um, and they're all just containers. I studied with the Buddhists for a long time. What if we could go beyond container and recognize that there's something that doesn't need to be stuck in a a box, that it's greater, that the universal Christ is waking up, as Richard Rohr would say. Well, that's the Buddha consciousness, Barbara. It's the same thing. And then you tap into something bigger. You got to be really humble to catch the thread of truth. Lastly, he says, um, educating ourselves and our children in the sacred skills of listening, dialogue, and collaboration. Wow, the sacred practices of deep listening, dialogue. Do you know what it is to have a dialogue with somebody? That's where there's sharing of ideas, not conclusions, where we seek to come together in some kind of cohesive way. When my first relationship ended and I'm in New York City and I'm 21 and I didn't have a clue how to do relationships, the universe threw a little book into my path called Think on These Things by Krishnamurti. And I turned right to the chapter on relationships because I was so miserable at it. And he talked about in relationships, it's not about you sharing with her and her sharing with you. It's about finding a, a, a shared emergence through a conversation, through a dialogue where you begin to find something together. And I had never done that before. So what if we get to evolve and grow in a way that's greater than who we thought it was? Lastly, he says, committing to create an environment or a system or an institution become greenhouses for the awakened leadership and respectful community engagement. So what a better thing to call what we have here at Anastasia is a greenhouse. And we're all growing in this greenhouse and we're seeking to access the flower of our soul. And so I've, I've decided that I'm gonna dive into Emerson's little book, Living from the Soul in, in December. And then when I finish that, launching the new year, maybe with the 25th anniversary of the Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov. So really have a total emergence. What would life look like if your soul were in charge? If it wasn't you, your personality running the thing, then everything would shift, wouldn't it, Miss Emily? Whoa, I think so. And so isn't that the beautiful dance we get to do? I started off this month, it's the theme for the month was all you need is love. And love is 
You know, love is not an emotion. You know, Rumi says what you think of love are but subtle degrees of domination and servitude. He says, but true love comes fully formed like the moonlight in the window. Now, could we play with a love that's so vast, that's inclusive, that doesn't prefer, that doesn't judge, a love that accepts all things and bears all things, endures all things. And even when the love was lost by Emerson, when Ellen Tucker and his father and his brothers died and he's in such deep grief, the grief took him into the truth that love never dies. Ellen was with him. And you know, the irony is, because I know so much about Emerson, he did finally get married to a woman named Lydia. And she was from um, New England. So she called herself Lydian because she, you know, it's, it's, it's New England. And Lydian was a, a woman of means. She was an older woman than he was. So he married her. She had a nice little estate. And they had, I think, three children. And he named their first daughter Ellen. And when he got old and was, uh, he had Alzheimer's, Ellen took care of him to the end of his days. No, that's just a little inside story there. And Ellen was the love of his life. And so what if uh, we get to play with a, a, a life that doesn't have a beginning and an ending, a life that is eternal, and we're in eternal life? It's, it's a profound shift from the finite self to this soul expression. And then you know the lovely thing that happened to Emerson when he discovered that we're here to be a soul? Then he, he wrote his essay called The Oversoul. And in essence, he sounds like Rumi. He says, it's like the ocean. The oversoul's like the ocean, and you and I are waves on that ocean. And what happens when the wave starts to identify with the oversoul? So we're all connected in the oversoul, the one soul. And then you hear Hinduism, Brahman, which is the creative force of the universe, and the Atman, which is the soul, are one. Brahman and Atman are one. So when you know that this is part of that, well, what if you just go back into that and you just let that see through you? Not through your conditioned mindset, but through your sacred heart and through the clear awareness of pure awareness, open-hearted awareness. And then something starts to awaken. There's an intuitive guidance system. They call it gnosis. You know, there's this wisdom that comes from within that has nothing to do with knowledge. In fact, knowledge can get in the way of that because you think you have all the answers. Mary knows what I'm talking about, but this gnosis comes from this, this awareness. Fungus have it. I mean, bacteria has it. I was telling Terry Boy that when we would teach our ministerial classes, we had a little book called um, A Simpler Way by Margaret Wheatley. And she was a scientist who said some of the most advanced consciousness on this planet are fungus and bacteria because they know how to work in harmony for the greater good of all. It's not about the individual, it's about the collective. And so she says in this little book, A Simpler Way, could we as a human species be about the greater whole instead of the individual? Well, the day of the lone wolf is over. We're the ones that we've been waiting for. And then we get to play with that in a, in a meaningful, um, co-creative way and trust it'll unfold the way it's supposed to. So love is the way, discover what you love. Um, love, serve, and remember. We're here to love what is right in front of you, to serve because you're only serving yourself and remember who you are. You always already are that. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to earn God's approval. You already have the full love of the universe right now. Is that too big of a vision, Anne-Marie, for most people? I wonder to say, you're already always there. Ajashanti says that phrase all the time in the class. You're already always there. It's not something you aspire toward. 
you already have it. So I'm going to invite Bob to come up and take us into a little Chopin, if you're open to doing that. He says this particular piece of Chopin takes you into this soulful, deep place out of which we'll just have an unfolding at the end of the service. You know, when Emerson had the awakening, he said, it's only poetry and music that can really do justice to the soul. So I'm not the poet, but I can lean on the music here and we'll trust that the soul will know how to express. Chopin. And so we feel Chopin's depth of his soul through the notes. We hear the silence out of which all of that music of the soul emerged, bringing us together in a field of felt awareness. Rumi says, out beyond the ideas of right thinking and wrong thinking, there is a field. We come to meet in that field here on Sunday mornings, a field of peace, a field of silence. He said, words are not necessary. Even the idea each other does not exist. There aren't two. There's only one. Ah, it's the oversoul. That which was never born, that which never dies, world without end. And to know ourselves as that is such a humbling experience because it's the wave waking up to the ocean. It's the cloud waking up to the sky. And we feel that divine love so deeply woven into the cells of our body. Divine love keeps us healthy. It guides us into spiritual paths that uplift our soul. Divine love brought you here, I have no doubt about it. Divine love brings together in our lives those who belong together. And if you're in my world, and you are, well, divine love brought you and me together. Isn't that wonderful to know? And so then we begin to live with gratitude for the bird that sings And then we hear Victor Hugo that says, be like the bird who pauses for a while and bows too slight, feels them give way beneath her. And we've all been there. Yet she sings, knowing she hath wings. And so we can learn from the little bird whose foundation falls away. And yet she knows that she can fly to another destination that she knows not of. And then she smiles. And so we're in this beautiful journey home. And the irony is we're already home. That we are the source, we are the journey and the goal, all at the same time. So rest in that awareness. And I invite you now to call upon all those guides and sources and angels and powers that be I feel Emerson in my heart today, so I invite his presence into my soul, knowing that he lives in me as so many do. 
so that this message of oneness might be revealed. There's a Jack Fowler song that says we come together. In this sacred moment, we bind our hearts and minds, for we all form a family woven from one life, one creation, undivided, all unique expressions of God. We come together in one accord. And so we come to the center to meet in that field so that we might let our light shine, so that we might remember who we are, so that we might serve the one and the many and the many and the one, and so we can remember who we are and who everyone else is. The one life unveiling herself endlessly anew, and we bow to you. That's what namaste means. The divine presence in me bows to the divine presence in you. And when we have that experience, there's only one here. So I invite you to put your hands over your heart in prayer fashion and say with me, I honor you. I respect you. I love you. You are the emerging presence of the one. Always unfolding herself outrageously free ways so that we might honor and glorify the one in unique, playful ways. With gratitude and joy, we let it unfold as we stand in awe and gratitude. And so it is. Thank you. You're beautiful out there. It's nice to see you in that kind of light. Now just stay that way. Don't, don't pick up your little thoughts now. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org.